And the clock is running. Hey. 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 So introduce introduce the show, Andy. Hi and welcome to Frame by Frame. I'm Andy. And to my right is Stephen. Happy birthday, Stephen. <laughs> Hello Andy. Hello. I'm Stephen. <laughs> Stephen hates people when it's his birthday he doesn't want people to talk about it ah i'm all right i'm all right I'm doesn't all right. like a fuss being made of him do you mate no i'd rather just get in a car drive to the ocean and just stare out at the ocean and leave it all behind mm. but i don't drive and i don't have a car so we'll just think here <laughs> two people in manchester will be talking about something over in um los angeles mark marin let's talk to the president racism we are not cured of Clearly, uh, and 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 it's not just a matter of uh, it not being polite to say nigger in public. That's not the measure of whether racism still exists or not. It's not just a matter of overt discrimination. We have to, societies don't overnight completely erase everything that happened two to three hundred years prior. He's still cacking himself, going, "Oh my God, did that happen?" But uh, that was astonishing. Um, it has been brewing for a while, though. But uh, oh, everybody, everyone, everybody thought it was going to be like it was just uh, it was never going to happen. Still not because um, I think he was trying to get um, you know during the elections a couple of years ago he was trying to get Hillary Clinton. He was trying to get all those candidates. I reckon there's probably you know the, from the moment they finished this episode of WTF Whoa. featuring President Barack. Sorry. <laughs> I'm guessing also that he eliminated any of the uh, what what the fucks because yeah in the episode announcing that he was going to be doing the president he says I can't do any of the uh, and I think that yeah if you're going to be having uh, if the president's going to have that uh, as a representation of his of, of an interview and a popular one at that yeah. he's probably going to say you're going to have to cut out your um, your you know your WTF you're not what the fuck today okay yeah. You're talking to the president. Barack Obama. <laughs> but that's, uh, that, that I won't mind. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't mind even. It doesn't matter. But I think the editing process on that episode then is like, can I, can I, can I keep this? Can I keep that? Yeah, I reckon when they edited it, it would have been over. They, they, overseen they, by somebody else as well. edit, send it over. Because usually I, I wake up on a Monday morning and I have a WTF ready to listen to. But yeah. this has only just come up now. So it's just, yeah, a little bit of a delay. And I reckon they've been working through it over, through the night, through the yeah. weekend to get that out it's a big episode and it's like well where can you go with that I mean Mark Marin is doing so well now um, and yet he's still so modest I mean it, the beauty and I noted it in a, in a post on Facebook that it's like it's you know everybody's been making points about you know why didn't you shave why didn't you put on some nice clothes why didn't you tidy up the garage it's it's a human being having another conversation with another human being yeah, you don't. There's no pomp. There's no, you know, prestige. You don't put out red carpets. You just let the guy come in and have a conversation about being a human. Yeah, and that's that's what he's he's breaking new ground. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You tell me wherever Barack Obama has gone, and they've actually gone put on ceremony. But it's part of that, and part of Barack Obama is so trying to be the cool kid. You know, he's turned up in between two ferns. Yes, he has. He was yeah, on that, he was on you know, that, yeah. and you're kind of like, oh, he's out. What are you doing? I think that's kind of what they have to do now. I mean, there's imagine Nixon trying to be the cool kid. Yeah. So tell tell us about the uh, the, the um, was it Scandinavian? No, no, no. no. Oh, the Serbian. Film. So 
So David Cameron, would you like to watch the Serbian film? <laughs> yeah, we could do a video where you can watch it and then his reaction to it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I wouldn't want to... I mean, the only politician I would like to actually interview, because it's fun, Boris Johnson. Yeah. he's. I think he's... Everybody calls him a buffoon and a, and a goofball, but I think he's the most accessible politician yeah. of our generation. And I think he still does. he still does a good job. I've got a soft spot for Anne Widdicombe. Have you? Yeah. What's that about? <laughs> I don't know. Well, partly because she's um, she's a virgin. She's still a virgin. And I just think that'd be a real nice surprise for the Suicide Bombers. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Is that... That's nice. But did you hear the, the exciting news? What's the exciting news? They're going to make a remake of Big Trouble in Little China. What? With Dwayne The Rock Johnson playing why, Jack Burton. Why is it that whenever we want to do a podcast on something, there's news about, or they've actually just made it? It's like Amateurville. Yeah. Not, not Amateurville. Um, the, uh, Enfield. Enfield Poltergeist. Enfield Poltergeist. Well, we went two directions there. and uh, But yeah, they're always remaking stuff. It's, it's just Remake City. Yeah. But why is that? Re- the thing is, it's like... I love Big Trouble in Little China, partly because Kurt Ruffle is just like a buffoon in it. He's not, he's, he's like, he's, he's given, he's, he's given trying scenery. to be this macho guy, yeah. but he just keeps getting things wrong. He's chewing he everything. mistakes. <laughs> like the part where he did, it's actually on now at the minute. And um, he makes that war cry and shoots his gun in the air and then he shoots the masonry off the ceiling and it hits him and knocks him out. You know, it's just beautiful. It is. Yeah, that, that that guy in that big suit tries to kill him, and he puts his dagger and he's fought, and, he, and the guy lunges on him, and he just and his dagger goes into him and he kills the guy. But then all of a sudden, he's just stuck with him on top of him, and, he, and he's too heavy to get him off, and he can't move. You know, he has can a bit ma- of realism to the martial arts film. I think. Yeah, it's can like... you imagine the Rock being in that? <sighs> I don't understand the Rock being in that role. You're right. It's it's. Yeah, I mean, who who would you prefer to be in that role if they I'd were going to remake it? If they if they had to remake it, Kurt Russell, uh, Kurt Russell, yeah. Um, <laughs> who who Let's bring who, him back? Who could do that now? Who could be uh, uh, Chris Pratt? Yeah, Chris Pratt. Maybe. He seems to be able to do everything at, at the moment. Chris Pratt. He's got he's got the he's got the finger on the pulse of the filmmaking world. Yeah. He's he's so hot right now. He's he's, but he was on. Uh, was it? Was it? I think it was Kimmel, and they they was talking they're good about friends. The, yeah, they're good friends. And he says, "Well, so tell us, are you gonna? When are you gonna do Indiana Jones? You're gonna play name? Indiana Jones next, yes? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Thank you. Interesting. I don't. I don't remember. I just. I, don't remember going I thought over I'd that. throw that out there and see if. Uh... Huh. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I don't know. Like you know, I, I don't know. That's this movie is is. <laughs> the point. Look to get to your question. Jurassic World opens on June 12. Okay. All no, right. Um, you don't have to answer the question. And... Well, I have no answer to it. I don't know. I mean, no one is. No one. I, I missed a phone call. The other day. <laughs> Unknown number. It might have been him. I hope it wasn't him. And then he just looked at the camera. Everybody cheer. And it's like, no, 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 no. But you look at him. And it's like, all of a sudden, Harrison Ford came through. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, he could totally do. He could do it. And he, and he do it really well. Yeah. Um, he's. I think he's the, the, the most 
closest. You know when we had that little uh, spiel yes uh, last week about um, icons. Yeah, he could very well leap out of that frame if if he focused. Yeah, he's got charisma. He's got it. Yeah, in the, in the bucket loads. But he's also got a bit of a dirty edge to him as well. Yeah, but, not... and the fact that he like he turned thirty six yesterday, so he's not young. And he's excuse me. We're we're young. No, you know what I mean, though. For in Hollywood, <laughs> yeah, terms, yeah, it's usually like Zac Efron, yeah, early twenties. Yeah, that's 20. when people start to get. But yeah. he's done it at thirty six. That's good. That's good. That's good. Well, and you know when he was on Parks and Rec, he was fat. He had to lose weight <laughs> to do Guardians of the Galaxy. You know what I mean? And Zero Dark Thirty was in Zero Dark Thirty as well. They actually, yeah, and it's it's amazing. I I don't think that method acting is a part of the regime anymore, but I think that. Um, yeah, was he supposed to be fat in Parks and Recreation? I think he just was. That was he just didn't just, care. He just ate. Just food. Really, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was just like he got to the point where they offered him the part. Um, James Gunn wanted him for the part, but the studio didn't. But he had to argue the point and said, "Well, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to lose some weight." So yeah, he lost the weight. How come Brad really Pitt's care. not fat? He eats food in every single film. That yeah, he but does. he probably makes himself sick and works out after after just said cut. Okay, retake. <laughs> I need fingers, to go to my trailer. Fingers. <laughs> that's what Angelina does. She gets she gets a kick out of it. Come on, let me ram those yeah. fingers in. Yeah, that's it. Well, bring it up, bring it up. She's making him gag with one hand and buying African children with the other. <laughs> on the internet so I think we seriously need to transition into our main feature but what I was going to say just before <laughs> we before we move on do you think we run the risk of getting Chris Pratt overload if he's starting to be in everything true true I mean he is because gonna, he's going to be in Guardians he's going to be in other Marvel films now because I reckon the Guardians are going to join the Avengers and stuff like that possibly, yeah. maybe he's going to be another because Jurassic World has been insanely popular it's yeah. done really well so maybe he's going to do another one of that he'll be in that He's, if yeah. he's Indiana Jones but think about think about Harrison Ford back in the I mean he was in Star Wars yeah. he was uh, also in Indiana Jones at the yeah. same time he did other films in between that you yeah, know, he, suppose, he, yeah he did a lot he, he, he was the, the guy who was in every single movie in the 80s to be honest and to be fair and yeah I, th- I think it'll, it's, it's going to be a, a phase and then it will just drop off again yeah. and he'll then go into more meaningful stuff or just get cranky and become a carpenter I don't know who knows talking of carpenter speaking <laughs> segue wow um, yeah so because we have this news about the remake of Big Brother Big, Big Brother, Brother in, in China Big Brother in China right so we heard about this yeah this remake so we thought we're both big fans of John Carpenter. Oh yeah, we are. Well, maybe we should talk about him and maybe what happened. To him. <laughs> what happened to him? Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting story actually because I think he's he's one of the he's considered a maverick director. He's not yeah. a he's not um, he's not associated with with the new wave as such because new wave was about uh, bringing high art movies, but he kept his movies very real. Yeah, he was subversive, but he kept his movies kind of low key. He didn't go over the top. They weren't massive budget movies. They weren't Jaws. They weren't Godfather. They were small. I think comfortable because Big Brother in Little China didn't do <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> didn't do very well. Yeah. I think maybe if it done really well, maybe he would have started getting off with the big gig, big gigs. 
Yeah, but, but that that's kind of the interesting thing about him because he's always kind of been on the same track uh, in in terms of the the size of his movies have always kind of been. I mean, the the, the reputation has has kind of superseded. I mean, Halloween's reputation is massive. Well, he's made two of my favorite films of all time. Yes, being Halloween and The Thing. Two amazing films. Yeah, perfect but, films. But they don't they don't go out of their way to be blockbusters. They went yeah. out of their way to just be the films that they are, and, yeah. and and everybody's kind of built them up to be great because they are great. Yeah. But it's, it's, that's what I like about John Carpenter. He's sparing in his approach, and yet we, the audience, love him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just as much as a Spielberg or a, uh, or a Lucas. Well, well, more Lucas. so. <laughs> It comes to Lucas. Yeah, so what was his first <laughs> film? It would have been Dark Star, wouldn't it? His first film was Dark Star. Yeah. Was, uh, in, um, wrote it with Dan O'Bannon. Yeah. I think he helped on the script as well. He was, uh, But it's a comedy. Yeah, it's just a wacky space cowboy thing, it. isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's one heck of a comedy, though. It's, yeah, really bad effects. It's just, but it's just great. Yeah. Um, I think it was a good film for him to get his foot in the water. Yeah, I think it was definitely a tongue-in-cheek movie, um, but it's it's a it's a good movie to learn your craft. Absolutely. Special effects weren't his thing back then, though. On that film, definitely, <laughs> they're really bad. But that's the point. That's the that's the whole point of the film. He wasn't looking to have a Stan Winston. Um, he wasn't having Rick Baker coming in doing all those effects. That wasn't until the thing. Yeah, which um, we will get to. But we will get to. But but Dark Star. Just didn't. It had a very small budget. Yeah. It didn't have a release. It feels more like a student film, really. It does, but it, yeah, I think it was the kind of wacky comedies that were emerging in the seventies. Because we spoke about this quite a bit. It's very Hitchhikers. Yeah, and, and that it was, came before Hitchhikers yeah. Guide to Galaxy, which ruined your perception of Hitchhikers in a way. Who's to say though? Douglas Adams never watched Dark Star and just had the idea. And it was a radio show before True. it was ever a book, so who knows? Yeah, who knows? But yeah, the the influences are definitely there. It but, does seem um, like it, definitely. Yeah. Very surreal. That alien that's just a ball. It's just brilliant. In a way it is a it is a, a kind of a parody for two thousand and one. There is yeah. a lot of two thousand and one isms there where you can't get into the ship or you can't stop you can't stop the uh, the nuclear Thing from exploding, yeah. he's like, uh, "Turn it off now." No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Turn it off. Now. I, I can't remember the lines. Well, I was but... reading the quotes yesterday. I wish I wish I could remember them. Because, oh, so, but it's it's kind of film that you can watch over and over again. So, uh, after Dark Star, what came about? Feature, and after that, he did a Sultan Precinct Thirteen. Sultan Precinct Thirteen, which, which is brilliant. I have seen it, but I, I don't remember it that much. It's kind of like it's basically a prison riot. Right, it's a yeah. Since yeah, they've got like a, a prisoner, and they just they're getting attacked by these unseen guys who's trying to get in there and get this prisoner back. And right, it's just really well made, really well done. It's directed impeccably, and it's it's creepy as well. It's very creepy. It's, it's sort of ho- it's got sort of overlays of horror in there, but it's kind of like a western as well. With you know, they're trying to get the prisoner out and it's just really well made it's really well done corner yeah. the ice stuff people just trying to attack out of nowhere all that kind of stuff and they're just trying to hold down the fort really good film yeah I mean he is considered to be a genre director he oh, likes so. to fuse genres I mean uh, comedy sci-fi 
this sounds like an action I mean he likes his action blending with kind of a dark horror uh, yeah. future imperfect futures um, so I, I'm guessing Assault on Precinct 13 is contemporary contemporary yeah, yeah. it's just now yeah um, and because obviously they did a remake of it they with Ethan Hawke and Lawrence Fishburne which yes. is okay yeah. but it's not it's, it's not near as that's the thing with it it feels fresh when you watch it even now with the flared trousers and stuff it feels fresh and clean and well done and do you know what I mean it, yeah it's kind of like watching Dawn of the Dead movies and the, those kind of films it's they're, they're of the time they fit yeah. in it's like with, watching Halloween but it's like going back in time and just watching it back in the day yeah and it, 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 you don't you don't sit there and go watch Halloween and go my gosh is this dated mm. you go back there and watch it as if it's it's new yeah exactly yeah and I think that's John Carpenter's lore he doesn't make things he never makes dated films he brings you back there he pulls you in yeah and that's the difference between him yeah I suppose it feels like if it's of its time but it feels relevant yeah yes. yeah you know what I mean you can always find something in it that's that's, that's, that's an amazing relevant, yeah. achievement to be able to do as a director to be able to watch a film that was done 30 years ago and think that's just yeah. as, just as good now as it was back then yeah but I don't think he had an, um, an awareness of it it's just one of those things that that his directing did is it's, it's everything mm-hmm. I mean I, you could say that They Live maybe has a bit of a dated feel to it again um, though I think it just off the time yeah I think everything with They Live is very purpose purposefully done but it's relevant as well I mean the whole putting the glasses on and seeing Obey and all yeah, those things consuming are, yeah I mean it's relevant now because we're still doing it and yeah yeah he was, he was obviously uh, looking at things very early on before everybody else kind of gotten onto the whole um, really are we doing this yeah. kind of thing I mean before all the politicians it, you know literally yeah. you know it was supposed to be hiding behind masks literally hiding behind masks in what they do why they lie to us but make it as in they're actually aliens and you know so what was the uh, so going back to Assault on Precinct 13 what was the overriding goal of that movie was it just an action film was it saying anything I'm not sure if it was saying anything because it was a simple premise of they've got this prisoner these faceless thugs are trying to get the prisoner out and uh-huh. get you know and they're trying to hold down the fort it's simply that simply that yeah and they're on their own and they our are, ongoing yeah. theme is isolation there's no help coming from anywhere else they have to hold down the fort yes. and they've got no one else to help them. And that comes back with Escape from New York when yeah. Snake actually says, so what you're saying is I'm on, on my own in there. Yeah. Is, well, thank goodness for that. Because I think the characters tend to prefer it. They prefer the isolation. Yeah. Uh, because they work better on their own. They're not very good in crowds. They're not very good with a lot of people. I mean, big trouble in Little China trying to rescue all those people. I was saying, you know, Kurt Russell doesn't look comfortable. No. Rescuing. 15 such, green-eyed people. Such a good character, though. <laughs> because, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I, so isolation uh, and the idea of, of, of working on your own and not having to, not having to rely on other people. This seems, yeah, this seems to be a... A theme. A theme, isolation, I think is a theme he comes back to. Because his next film, which is Halloween, one of the best horror films ever made. It is one of the most uh, profound films because it was 
set in a place that was relevant to us. I mean, before horrors had always been, you know, woods, woodlands, houses, mm. creepy houses, um, houses on mountains, graveyards, you name it. It's all those places that you go to. But John Carpenter brings the horror home. Yeah. And again, the um, we, talk, we spoke about this before, but the idea of this killer that can't be stopped but there's no reason behind it. No. He's just evil. And he wants to kill. And that's it. There's no backstory. He wasn't he came from a really nice family. You know what yeah. I mean? The only backstory is is that the child wants to kill his sister and that's it. Yeah, well in the first Halloween film you don't yeah. know Oh well he kills his sister in that yes. that great long steady cam shot. Brilliant, yeah. Yeah, starts outside the house. Then he goes to you see the, his sister going with a with a little kid, and then it's yeah. just following him around. It's just brilliant. You, you're you're there, and that's that. What was a great like opening the to a film! Of a, yeah, I mean, because yeah. imagine seeing that for the first time. You don't know anything about it. You know it's about Halloween. It was called Halloween. You know it's about a murderer, but you don't know anything about it. And then you see that last shot where they take the mask off, and it's just a child stood there with a knife. Yeah, and it just pans back slightly, and he's just looking to the camera, yeah. cold dead eyes. Wow. And it's um, it, it, it's one of those strange things where what happens in the scene from that point when we're pulling back, it, it's divisive. There's no panic on, on happening between the parents. They're just standing there in disbelief. Yeah. There's no movement. Movement. It's literally the life has just suddenly stopped for everything, and we're just still mm. moving back. There's all like the there's a lot of omnipotence. Yeah. yeah the, the, the thing about John Carpenter, he gets right into the character's point of view, but then uh, he puts right next to that this grand pullback of of what what we've just been actually experiencing mm. uh, and looking at things from a more omnipotent position. He's very good at kind of sp- slicing the two points of view together yeah. for effect. Yeah, absolutely. So it's great. It's great. I, I, Halloween is just. It, it's staggering it's staggering so. but then if you think about it now in terms of what the film is it's a film about a killer who is stalking babysitters in a in, an, in a suburban area well, the premise is so easy but the execute it's all about the execution and so many people have tried to remake that and tried to not remake it but tried to do the same thing and they fail because they only ever achieve the this is just somebody stalking people in a in a situation. Yeah, I know. they don't go beyond it because it's not the first slasher film. There was slasher films before it, but yeah. it was the first one that really it, it, it created a genre of film. Yeah, it felt right. You know, obviously we had all the Friday Thirteenth come after it and things like that. Which I like Friday Thirteenth films, but again, he does have a backstory. Yeah. You know what I mean? For the first film, it wasn't even Jason; it was his mum. Yeah, which was interesting because they, you know, the um, the people looking after didn't look after her kid, let her let him drown. So she's killing the the ones, the, the, the ones that should have been looking after the kid. Then at the end, you got this weird thing where this boy comes out of the lake and pulls her back in. Yeah. So the next one, then it's Jason, but who's avenging the death of his mum? So yeah. there you go, backstory. And with them, you don't really need much of a story. Or you need two things: lots of deaths and boobs. Yeah, and here it was kind of like. It was not necessary unless it was actually in the scene itself. I mean, the, the idea of 
of you know if you're going to have sex you're going to die yeah that's the the loss of innocence yeah but it's not the as death if, of that but part they weren't parading it they weren't parading it for 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 excess or for for no reason what was the interesting thing with Halloween there's no blood in it no there's no blood in Halloween there's just agonising deaths and yeah. that's it you know what I mean? And the very quick deaths as well. There's no, there's no kind of. Yeah, you get a girl who's strangled in a car. Yeah. But it's just the. It's Mike Myers in that first film is is just. It's it this attack is not attached to life. It's just something. I get I, going on again. It's the fact that he is just this murderer. He's just a, he just wants to kill. There's no reason behind it, and the reason why you. Like that part where he lifts up that guy with glasses on and then just puts yeah. a knife into his chest. And then just looks at and him. And then just looks at him and his head's moving from side to side, just staring at it. Yeah, it's just a fascination. And it's, you're just watching it and thinking, what and, is going on? And, yeah, and the little things, the menace where he's just stood at the pathway in front yeah. of him as they're walking up and then he just moves and then he's gone. Isn't he? Hey, creep. Laurie, dear. Talk to you. He wants to take you out tonight. Standing in the cl- in the what in the laundry, all of, yeah, amongst yeah. all the the washing, the washing, and just staring up at her. Yeah, there are iconic moments, and it, it's it, that 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 was the most unnerving part was the fact that he was just watching and waiting, yeah. and then knowing full well that you know he's going to come after you. That's yeah. a terrifying thing. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. There you go, Halloween. Elvis TV movie. Was that the one with Yeah, Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell played Elvis, didn't he? Yeah, so it's a John Carpenter film. So he did a few departures. That might have uh, might have been an interesting thing to do because that seems to be a film that is it's biographical. Again, sorry, Halloween. Isolation. Oh, sorry, yeah. You know we talk about this theme of isolation, he's yeah. coming back to it. Where she's running away from him. She just got out of that house where she found all the dead bodies and she's knocking on the neighbour's door. Yes. And the light switches on, she looks out and she's like, help me, help me. And he just she just closes the curtain, switches the light off. Doesn't help her. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, again, is uh, that's a good statement to saying that she's on her own. Your neighbours, who you live with, aren't going to help you. Yeah. Isolation, well, but, she's on her own. But it's one of those things that people say that uh, if, you cr- if you scream help in a situation in life, then... The chances are nobody's actually going to help you. Mm. You scream fire, everybody will come running with buckets. <laughs> At know. least once a week, the fire alarm goes off at one of the houses across the yeah. road from us. Uh-huh. No one ever goes to check it. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, that's going off again. One yeah. of these times, it'll be a fire. That'll be no wolf. That's go. the whole wolf thing. But what yeah. I'm saying, you know, if someone suddenly came running around screaming fire, knocking on your door saying, fire, fire, help me, then and you'd be inclined to help them. But if they came running to the door screaming, saying, help, help, mm. then you're thinking, this is something that I don't want to get involved with. Yeah. Fire is something else. Fire is saving the house, and there's no danger to yourself. You just have to. But that's the thing that if you yeah. if a neighbour yeah. knocked on the door at night time screaming for help, and you know the person, you'd let them in. Yeah, yeah, you would. If it was a stranger, you'd be like, no, 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 no. no, no. But it's but it's also the uh, maybe we're looking at the uh, the idea of American um, being a, a, a nation of paranoia. Maybe and uh, the, again, it's the lynching, white picket fence. What's actually going on in the neighbourhood? What's stuff? really going on? Yeah, everybody mm. wants to say that they're they're all looking after each other. They're all Christian, looking after each other's neighbours and being mm. being a good person, a good community, good community. But uh, yeah, really underneath, it's just uh, yeah, you never know, you never know. It's very very much lynching. Yeah, very desperate housewives. They should have had a serial killer in Desperate Housewives. That would have been fun. Yeah, murder them all. Cal McCockman should have done it. Yes. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so I suppose the big film after that would have been The, Th- the Fog. This is KB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. The Fog is his next big genre piece. Yeah. Again, it's um, deals with isolation. Yes. Um, the woman on the radio station, the girl who gets picked up by a hitchhiker, who does have sex but doesn't die. Ah. Then you got the priest who's barricading himself. Yeah. Um, so everybody's in in their room, form of isolation somewhere. Yeah. And essentially, the fog just brings these dead fishermen. To the shore, to yeah, the it brings brings the ghosts of the dead fishermen. Yeah, they, sure. They're all ready which to, again yeah. really creepy. You know, yeah. just the white eyes, the light coming from their eyes, and then it's just a silhouette. Apart from that, yeah. very yeah. creepy. Very, I'm. He does the guy coming out of the shadows really well, like with the Halloween, where she, you know, she's just she's just lying back against the doorway and she's just gathering her breath, and he just appears from behind her so creepy yeah which was, it happens a lot in the fog the last time that the, the latest film that we saw that had that that had that was it follows yeah um, which is essentially a homage to John Carpenter very much so yeah, yeah. homage to the whole 80s uh, horror but with with um, the fog it, there's no kind of sense of of uh, no, <laughs> um, there's no kind of sense of uh, community or s- suburb it's kind of like everything's kind of fractured you got a trucker coming in. You've got the woman who's in the lighthouse doing a radio show. Yeah. Um, was it Wayne Sydney Wade? Yeah, I think it's Sydney Wade. Or is that? Uh, they sort of took her scream, but didn't they get her name from that? Yeah, was that? Oh, maybe. Who knows? And then you then you've got the 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 church, but and the fishing area. Yeah. But everything else is kind of like just dark. You know, it's all, it all there's a gas station. I think mm. it's all dark. Uh, it's not really. There's not a lot of daylight in the fog. No, it's not. all it's all runs for the whole night, isn't it? It's yeah. just one night. Yeah, it's, it's all again different. Was remade. It was. It was fucking terrible. The remake of the fog is awful. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I think John Carpenter has been remade the most. He is the most remade director. Yeah, I can't think of many films now that haven't been apart from the Escape from New York, which I think has been talked about. Yeah, them doing it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the Fog remake. I can't understand why people just want to remake these films. It's just a chance to get them to be. To, to, to kind of live in the skin of John Carpenter yeah because you know? again these films really do stand up yeah Halloween more so I suppose but The Fog I think you watch it I get the thing I think it's called Synesthesia where if you listen to a piece of music or you're watching a film yeah you vision you envision like a, a colour uh huh it happens yeah. when I listen to King Crimson and when I watch these early John Carpenter films I get it where I see like a vibrant blue yeah, the fog is. It blue. relates to it, yeah, and yeah. Uh, the fog, Halloween, Escape from New York, es- sorry, um, Assault and Pre- Precinct Thirteen, mm-hmm. all does that to me. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just a whole, it's a real deep subliminal. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's interesting because you know no other director really does that. John Carpenter to seems me. to no. be a, a man on his own force and his own force of nature. This, yeah. this. Uh, ability to kind of tap into you uh, something that's that no other director can really you know it, it reaches deep yeah um but the fog is is again it's it's i, I think it, he does he does his own score for all his films he does but that's what we should have talked about with halloween but still we can mention it now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he, i think that was really the first time that um the score had become that homemade score became famous yeah. yeah I think so I mean that's that's Moby I mean the, the, I think Moby was inspired by John Carpenter because yeah. he knew that, that John Carpenter John Carpenter made all of the music in his films so therefore Moby uh, Moby the, the musician lives by that rule yeah. he, he doesn't involve anybody else unless he has to yeah. and the same with John Carpenter they all work independently on their own, their own music, and I think that's uh, you're able to be personal with your film. Mm. And I think the way you used like sort of that seventy synth sounds for yeah. a lot of it, that sort of influenced a lot of the sounds you get in the like Day of the Dead and things like that. It was, they sort of yeah. got an off on influence with that. Yeah, but nothing like nothing that Ridley Scott did for Alien, or James Horner did for Aliens, or all the other films that were going on at the time. They were all just doing the score. Mm. John Carpenter was really giving the mood. Yeah, the absolutely. And, and, and putting it into It's menacing and yeah. it's, it's, it's foreboding, something creeping on it. Yeah, yeah. It's biological, it's genetic. Yeah. It's organic. There's something bodily about it. And maybe that's kind of the whole idea is it gets under your skin more. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Are you a big synth player or. Um, not really. I listen to it. I don't mind it. I can play the theme to Halloween on the piano. Though. You can very well as well. <laughs> um, I can tinker it, but you play it. But I think it, probably because it's in seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, and it's an odd time signature, and it just throws you off a little bit. Yeah. And uh... yeah, because there's a dun 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 dun, and yeah. To do both, and, yeah, it is a very yeah. He's he's a talented composer. Yeah. Um. Even though everybody kind of says, oh, he's just 
playing on a Casio keyboard. Yes, he's really playing on a Casio keyboard. Yeah. Unlike other people who just do chopsticks. Yeah. So. So after that, we had Escape from New York. Interesting film, interesting premise. Yeah. Uh, New York City is a prison, uh, penal colony in a way that's uh, isolated from the rest of uh, of America. Yeah. Um, filled with convicts, basically they they live by their their own rules. So this is a dystopia. Dystopian future. Yeah. We um, like a good dystopian future. We do, and I and I think I've I've always liked this idea as well. I like the idea of there being an island where convicts are just sent. This is my idea of, of punishment. You know, you, you do the crime, you do the time. You get sent to the island and you get armed with whatever weapon you're... you're you can pick one weapon. Yeah. And there you go, you're dropped off in a knapsack and that's it. You've got to survive. It's like Battle Royale mixed with what we did to everyone we sent to Australia. <laughs> but, but, but the Australians built a community and that's, that's gone... That's so British though, isn't free. it? Let's get all our criminals and send them to paradise. Send them to paradise. <laughs> let them... Let them, real, let them yeah, I mean, they've got the most uh, patriotic, loving, biodiversity, beautiful country to live in. And it's yeah. like, yeah, what what did we do wrong? We should, they should have left them in England and we should have gone over there. Yeah. But that's just, yeah, classic. Classic Britain. But so uh, with uh, Escape from New York, it, it's, it doesn't seem to be that full-on violent. The, the funny thing is you're not, you're not seeing people getting slashed. But you, you, the first people that... Um, uh, Kurt Russell sees are kind of like just scavengers falling out of manholes and just running around. They're it's, kind of yeah, like, they turn into animals. So a very Mad Max type existence. And that's what I was thinking about when I was watching it last night. I thought, well, is this uh, America's answer to Mad Max? A snake, uh, Mad Max without cars. You know, yeah. they, I could see that they probably could have tried to have made a Mad Max film and actually have cars riding around the Arizona desert and. Um, and Kurt Russell would have been amazing for yeah, that, yeah. but no, they they wanted to have that kind of character, but in this particular environment. And the reason for his being there, Snake, why is he sent to New York to rescue the president? Oh, to rescue the president who has crash landed. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And the reason they send him because he's damn good. Snake Plissken. <laughs> <laughs> he's a sleepless kid. He's a great um, character, though. A very he is because cult, he's classic yeah. character, and the yeah. only the only film that he's ever revisited, really. It is he did the sequel. Yeah, but he's the he's the kind of character that they they literally had to slap him with a death sentence in order to get him to do the job. Yeah, you've know, got twenty two hours. We talked, excuse me, but we talked about twenty four. <laughs> in twenty two hours, the Chinese people are going to do this and that so they give him a kind of a serum that basically in 22 hours it'll release a toxin in his blood yeah, and then he dies right. so brilliant brilliant setup because it's motivation and uh, he's literally motivated to, to find that president but uh, it, it's it's a, it's an odd film because you kind of expect it to be a, a really killing zone kill frenzy zone like battle royale but it's 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 kind of easy going yeah, got a pimp. Got like pimps. Yeah, I was gonna say the pimp and his pimp mobile with his chandeliers on his. I mean, uh, where that, that's that's an odd decision. It's like a, I want to show everybody that I mean business and I own New York City. So I want some lampshades. Yeah, give me some lampshades on my car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton. Love that guy. <laughs> yeah, I forgot he was in that. He's in it, and you've got. Um, the crazy taxi driver character. It's all, the thing about John Carpenter's films, 
um, when he does a Kurt Russell film especially, not when he does a Jamie Lee Curtis so much, the characters are kind of very neutral, easygoing, kind of generic, you know, every, everyday, everyday people. Yeah. In a Kurt Russell, John Carpenter film, they're all extremes, they're mm. all caricatures, they're all, they, they can all be in a graphic novel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, be it the thing. Funny you said that, because Escape from New York could have been a graphic novel. I think, I think then, they probably have done. I think they've probably done it afterwards, but I mean, it could have been a graphic novel. Yeah. And then he thought, oh, I'll make a film out of that. Yeah. Such I a perfect that. character. So pulpy, you know. And it is. It is very much pulpy and very, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a staggering. I mean, Escape from New York is, it's a fun little romp. I mean, it's a, it's a basic premise. Call me Snake. Okay, the thing. The thing. The thing, right. Talk about isolation. Now, first of all, I want to say that The Thing is actually a remake. Sort of. On The Thing from Outer Space. Loosely, yeah, because yeah. that's one of his favourite films growing up as a kid. He, his mum used to take it to In fact, Dan, the... they're watching The Thing from Outer Space in Halloween. The kids are watching it. Yeah, yeah. that set up the whole premise that uh, people in horror films tend to watch a lot of black and white films. Because mm. uh, it, it, it follows as well. They watch... Um, B movies, yeah, which they don't. Kids don't watch B movies. Well, I can Adults, imagine, I can imagine in the seventies, kids being allowed to watch a horror film. That's all they had. That's all they had. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they were watching the thing from outer space. That's so it's loosely based on that. But some, is it, what are they? They're sort of scientists. Aren't the they? scientists in in uh, Norway. Uh, the, the Norwegians are the uh, the, the first. Uh, crew that are out in the, I think, so should we say the Arctic yeah, say or the Greenland? Arctic. Let's say somewhere, a very cold it's place very where cold. there's lots of ice. Yeah. And they're they're doing some sort of research, you know. They're, they're yeah. digging. They're digging. Well, um, we sort of find them, don't we, when they're chasing that dog? Yeah. The first scene is is the dog that that's run away from the Norwegian camp, uh, makes its way to the American camp, and uh, the helicopter is is. Uh, yeah. Is trying to shoot the dog? They're trying to kill the dog. They're shooting at the dog. The no- Norwegians are. The Norwegians are. Yeah. The Norwegians crash and then they start shooting so they have to kill the Norwegians, don't they? Because they're literally shooting at the scientists. Yeah, so they're, they're all... And then yeah, we find we're in this sort of science community, again, isolated. Yeah. Thousands of miles away from any kind of civilization. Caricatures all over the place. I mean, they're all very, very uh, specific... Uh, Personalities. You've yeah. got uh, the the big guy with the glasses, who who says, uh, "Don't trust Clark." Yeah. I mean the names. I mean you got uh, you got McCreary, you got Blair, Knowles, Palmer, Childs, Copper, Norris, Bennings, Clark, Gary, Fuchs, Windows. They've all got kind of just odd names. Well, this film <laughs> freaked me out when I watched it right because this was about the time where we started we got our first VHS player mm. so my dad would get a film that he thought we'd all enjoy and never really paid any attention to the 18 certificate yeah 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 and um, the scene where the dog's flipping out all the dogs are going crazy and you go down to it and you see the dog and then all the skin on its face just folds back I still find it difficult to watch that bit to this day because I wasn't expecting that. And I'm the, a kid. The, the inner child in yourself is still panicked about that. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Dad switched it off at that point. Yeah, and it freaked me out. It really freaked me out. 
and then later on I went back to bed and mum and dad put it on and I was listening to the part where it was like they were saying that the uh, the chances of someone else being infected by this is like 75% or whatever it was and in my head thought well my mum or my dad could have that in them and that paranoia <laughs> stayed with me for a while for your whole whole life you're still I paranoid still you're still yeah yeah they're going to turn into some but that's the best kind of uh, feeling I think to get from a film to actually feel I mean that that to me is is a, is a scarier feeling than any roller coaster could ever give yeah a fear that everybody that's around you one of them could be this alien yeah this thing that you can't trust the thing that it, it sort of it, it, it assimilates you yeah and and it can assim- and it, it could at any point turn into anything from hundreds of planets it's visited yeah and when you see these horrible things it turns into beautiful creatures oh beautiful the, beautiful, beautiful effects in this film is it's, it's, uh, it's paradise for the makers who did, who did all those special effects. They literally, I think John Carpenter said, just just go crazy. Yeah. And I think they did. They they just went with it. They they thought it. I mean, the, the tongue that crawls along the floor with their head attached to it. The it turns out, it. Oh yeah, that yeah. And I then the it. thing where it sprouts like legs and starts to walk off. Yeah. When the the actor's like, you gotta be fucking kidding. It's like part of that thing is that the actor saying that or is that yeah. scripted? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's so real in the moment. And, <laughs> it's yeah. real in the moment. It's like really, I can't believe that this is really happening. All this crazy. I mean, when they like they're trying to revive him, I, and just, got, I just had that vision right in my head just yeah. as you said it. Yeah, yeah, and they got the um, the defibrillators, the, the defibrillator, and then his chest just caves in, and he bites. Next thing, bites he, his he, hands, he bites off, his hands like, off. But the guy that they had. For that the stunt guy actually had no arms. Yeah, no, so that's they, right, yeah. they did have uh um you know, they didn't cut any of his hands off. But that's the this. thing, and then oh. he comes up and then that guy's Damn. head just splits open and then he just gr- and then that split open head engulfs someone else's head and he's getting smacked around everywhere. Yeah. And... I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. But when you find the time I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! It's, it's something wow. innately, violently sexual about the whole thing as well. That's You, you don't feel it, because you, you you're overrun by fear and awe. Mm. But if you imagine it, this is simply that it's way of, of, of procreating and, and having coitus. Yeah. It, it's, it's That's the sense of what it is. It's, yeah. it, it's assimilating another... Oh, I forgot to show it in there. It's, it's, assimil- it's, yeah. it's assimilating something that is sexual. So it kind of, it, it, in a way, society, the film Society, which yeah. also has a very elaborate uh, morphing body 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 shock. Yeah, morphing. very much influenced, I would say, by the thing. Yeah. It's very and, similar, but more but That was KY purely, purely about, about the orgy aspect of yeah. it all. And there was literally no gore or uh, yeah horror. Mm. It was literally just despicable, distaste or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of disgusting, yeah, gross. You feel, yeah, you feel, yeah, you feel a bit, bleh. but you gotta love that kind of stuff. Yeah. You gotta love it. It's incredible. I mean, the, the amount of the amount of latex, the amount of silicon, the amount of pasta of barriers, the amount of goo and gunk and <laughs> guts and and uh, the cow innards that they use. Yeah. 
they must have had truckloads, gallon loads of all these, these these different things, and they can keep adding it, keep adding it. But it, it never must have been disgusting. It must have stunk on yeah. that set. But it never loses that sense of complete isolation. No. Complete again. There's no one to help us. That's it. You know what I mean? And that seems to be the core of him as a filmmaker. Or at least was. You the only one who made it? Not the only one. Did you kill it? Where were you, Charles? Thought I saw Blair. I went out after him. Got lost in the storm. Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well, what do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. But I honestly think the thing is just an absolute masterpiece. I don't... It's... it's it's just it's a perfect film I tell you what it's a film that cannot be staged <laughs> it can't it's hard to it's not one of those films that be, can, can be copied or they, they remade it but they didn't do anything well they with did that. a prequel they did a prequel but they yeah, didn't do anything they did what the, happened to the Norwegians yeah which was kind of soft yeah CGI heavy yeah and that's yeah I mean that's the only reason to remake it is to kind of go with that craziness but yeah but it, it is definitely one of the one of his best films. Absolutely, without without a doubt. And then after that, there's another film I like. Christine. Christine. Which has got a car in it. So what do you think of Christine? It's um it's an odd it's an odd film because you don't really expect this to kind of fill out to be a feature. Yeah. But it does and it's done very well. It and is. Yeah. I think it's been a in, long time since I've seen it though, so I'm a little shaky on well, I think in someone else's hands it would have been a, a lot worse film than it ended up being. But a lot of adaptations from Stephen King were bad yeah, adaptations yeah. and I think Stephen King uh, he he's even says himself that uh, John Carpenter did make the best adaptations of his books. Really? So uh out of all of them he does he does prefer his take on on um on the one that, that he's done, done a several, I think um, they live was also a, a short story from Stephen King. Oh, was it? Did yes, I, did not know that. So uh, yeah, so there is there is a trust between them. Um, but yeah, the possessed car. Possessed car. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, it's one step closer to that rubber tire that goes on a killing spree. Yeah, rubber. But, uh, rubber. Great, great film. Well, it's not great. It was a good film. <laughs> But yeah, Christine, I thought it's good. It's sort of got a very 50s vibe to it. Got that song that keeps being played through the car. But it's quite menacing. 
When was the last time I'm, you saw it? A while ago. Good, mm. good, good for you. But you've got ago. a good memory of it, so. Yeah. And um, the car sort of possesses the kid, doesn't it? The kid becomes really crazy and weird all okay. because of his car. And I like the idea of the car getting jealous when he gets a girlfriend. The car's jealous of the girlfriend and kills her. That's nice. It's nice, yeah. Yeah, it sort of gasses her Does out. It, it gasses her out. Doesn't it devour one in the actual engine? On a hot engine? I'm not sure about that. don't remember that. Huh. Yeah. Okay. But I like how a lot of these films, at the end, it leaves it open to more. At the end of this, because the car gets put into a demolition thing and ends up just being a cube. And at the very end of the film, you just see it bends ever so slightly, and then the film goes off. You're thinking, ah, oh, so there could be a. That's but it's, it's right. a possessed What's strange car. about that is yeah. why has no one ever remade Christine? And then, good question. I mean, it's it's probably going to happen. It's open to being remade. Yeah, but um, maybe there's a lot of restriction with the what you can do with a car other than run people over gas them out um, two deaths straight away okay when it's um, being made at the very beginning it was on the production line some guys just like tinkering with it and the bonnet comes down on his hands and breaks his hand that's probably what I'm thinking of then yeah but, yeah um, yeah I don't know I, I think it's uh, possessed cars. Uh, there's nothing, nothing like it been since. I mean, that they've never actually done a possessed car. No, they've not, because a lot of people think that the car that James Dean died in was possessed. It's okay. haunted. There's something wrong with that car because it just followed so much, so much bad luck with that associated with that one car. Yeah. But yeah, Christine, good film. Yeah. It just feels a little bit made for TV. It's not as memorable for me as. As I, I'd say, the the other films that I've is seen. Is this the start of his decline, do you think? He's starting to get a little bit more money and a little He's bit. He's starting to, but then he did make Starman, and I do remember Starman, and it's a romantic film. It's not his usual thing. Mm. Starman, because I didn't even. I couldn't even remember that John Carpenter made this movie. But uh, have you seen Starman? No. Starman is a film about uh, a, a widower who. Uh, sorry, a widow. Um, a widower <laughs> no she she's lost her husband yeah and she's still in mourning still in grief and this alien lands on the planet it, it, it arrives at her house and it needs to assume the identity of a human being so it, it assumes her husband uh, the identity of her husband and the film is kind of like a, a romantic adventure drama where she thinks that her husband's come back and he's literally just unable to he's it's, it's the first time he's been on earth so everything is brand new to him he's like right. a child and uh, the story is basically he's trying to get back to his ship where he was where he crash landed and he's gonna be eventually gets taken back up again so it's kind of like ghost in a way at the end yeah where she's kind of like saying goodbye I love you and and he kind of gets it he understands it so the, the journey for him is to kind of realize what what it is to be human through her right. and it's 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 uh, Karen Allen Jeff Bridges it's a uh, it's a nice little little cast it's got uh, Martin uh, oh I thought it was going to say Martin Sheen then but it's not um, I don't think there's anybody else in this movie of note yeah they're all they're all people who yeah who you probably recognise the face but don't know the name right okay um, but yeah the, I think it's a, it was a cute romantic film and for John Carpenter to do this was quite brave 
I'd say, to do it's something also, that's a little bit low-key. Do you think he was trying to break Reach into the mainstream a little bit more? I don't think it was a mainstream movie either. I don't, I don't think it really had... Um, it wasn't great appeal. It wasn't. It was just a small movie as a romantic film like Bridges of Madison County would be. Right. Um, so I don't think he was, he was intending to be anything other than just something different. Yeah, but right. then I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is a uh, underlining reason behind him making the film that's not necessarily his taste or his decision. Or maybe he needed money so that he could then make Big Trouble in Little China. Which is which, next. Which is what come next. Yeah. Which is a great little film. It's it's a yeah it's it's a fun film. It's probably the first time that I actually got into martial arts films. Yeah. I don't think I watched any martial arts film until this I think this was on the television right uh, martial arts films weren't really that huge on television right I, I was brought up on Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan it was only because of this movie that I actually sought after yeah Bruce Lee not so much Jackie Chan I was more like I was the Bruce, Bruce Lee uh, Chuck Norris your <laughs> films are nowhere near done as well as Jackie Chan's films are Bruce Lee is more of a He's he's more of an Art Nouveau kind of a um, filmmaker uh, actor in his well, films. He he, was, he, it's all about being on his own. Well, a lot of his stuff was directed by Lowe and um, yeah, it made no sense at all. Because when he was fighting like a gymnasium full of people, it, it's like he'd be fighting one person. There's all these people in the background just moving from side to side, waiting to go. And yeah. then when he's beating one person, but in a Jackie Chan film, everyone's on him. Yeah, and he has to fight all of them. That's the difference. And I think if I'd have been brought up with a Jackie Chan film, I probably would have had a completely different appreciation. But because I didn't know about the Jackie yeah. Chan films, I thought that that was kind of it was showboating. It's exhibition filming, and that was okay for me. Uh, Enter the Dragon was probably the only one where there was an exception because that's actually in an arena of competition. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, all the other films—they're literally just—they literally could just take him on and get rid of the guy, get rid of him straight away. Yeah. But they all just wait, well, <laughs> dancing yeah. on one foot to the other, waiting yeah. to, to muscle in. Like, oh, ready to go, tag team, let's go. And, no. and then one of you, one of those guys surely would be thinking, right, you beat everybody up. I'm not even bothering. But With one punch the down, so I'm gonna, yeah. I'm, I'm fine here, mate. You do your thing. Yeah. These generic like, Chinese actors that, that just come for the day will pay you, and you know. But you, you have no liability if he does hit you. You know, you, you're yeah. not going to have to ask for money. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, Jackie Chan was in Enter the Dragon. Yeah, he, he was one of the guys, one of the henchmen at the end when he's when he's uh, escaping. No yeah, and he hits him with the staff. But he actually hit him with the staff. Oh. Probably clocked him in the eye. Jackie went down, carried on acting because he's Jackie. He's solid. And then after they finished the scene, um, Bruce says, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he's like, it's fine. Yeah. That's great. I didn't realize there was a kind of connection between the two because yeah. I thought they were literally just well, two separate. Jackie Chan was a, a stuntman and worked mm-hmm. on Way of the Dragon. And when he kicks that guy through the uh, the doors and he goes flying across the that garden and then just lands on the other side, mm-hmm. that's yeah, Jackie yeah, Chan. Yeah. At that point, oh. that was the biggest jump anyone had ever done in Hong Kong. Nice. And all Jackie did was got one side of the room, legged it, and jumped out the window and just went flying and hit. <laughs> and apparently after he'd done it he's like let me try it one more time and Bruce was like I like this kid I, yeah. w- I want him in my next film kind of thing you know brilliant but yeah but anyway Big Trouble in Little China but um, it's like fa- it's fantasy we've got yeah. Kurt Russell again who plays this really funny idiot 
and from here on it gets pretty normal. Obviously, store was a nice false front. I count to three. Yeah, open that door. And we move out. Everybody got that. Ready? Follow the leader. One, two, three. She may be trapped. You know, he thinks he's like this big sharp guy, but he's not. He keeps making mistakes all the time, getting things wrong. And what I noted was that in all of the films before, um, John Carpenter had kept his dialogue quite low yeah. not too much he didn't talk too much in uh, Escape he didn't talk a lot in um, The Thing The Thing yeah. his, his characters were a lot more moody quiet isolated this but... guy he's he's just literally um, big mouth yeah. truck driver he's a truck driver he just he's, he likes to talk yeah he talks a shit maybe he hasn't got anything to back up and he's always making mistakes but he's such a good comic actor I think uh, Russell especially in this yeah he's he's comfortable with himself in this movie and he's, more he than has, anything yeah and he yeah. has such conviction in what he says like there's that part where the bad guy what's his name in it Lopang, is it? He um, gives this big dialogue about why he's having to do that, and Kurt Russell, who's tied to that wheelchair, just leans forward and like, "Are you insane? Is that your problem?" I just—it's so. I don't know how clear it does make you laugh, but I, every time me and my mate Matt, where we watched it Lowe's when we were at college, and just that, just him, just made us so happy. I just love that character. You got a tongue, Dave. Master yourself. Go off and rule the universe from beyond the grave. Indeed. Or check into a psycho war, whichever comes first, huh? Did you used to pretend to be him? No, no, I never pretended to be him, but yeah, I just kind of loved it. Yeah, yeah, I loved you, him. you didn't emulate because I, I think I, I probably would have emulated um, characters as a kid. I always, used I to... used to pretend I was Street Hawk, so I would dress up all in black, put my black hood on, and get on my bike and and just drive up my dad's driveway and then do a jump like I was coming out of the thing in Street Hawk. That's funny. I used to think I was um, Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> wow. I used to cycle around with music blaring. I don't did know. You? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I used to think I was Marlon Brando at the same time. <laughs> I'd just sit in the corner and be broody. <laughs> with a fly in my head. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's he's not exactly the kind of a hero. I mean, at the time, nineteen eighty six. You know, everybody, all the kids were into He Man. Mm. And um, all these little action action men characters, but it didn't do well. It got panned. No, no, I don't think people got it. No, because they they didn't get the tongue in cheek aspect of yeah. it. They probably were confused by the 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 fusion between America and China. Yeah, they didn't quite. They possibly, probably yeah. they probably thought, well, this is, they're in China, but they're not. Yeah, why you know? But they, they didn't get the especially European audiences probably don't understand little China. Yeah. As being a, a district of of, a, of an American city, absolutely. So I'm wondering if that affected things a little bit because it is a departure for for John Carpenter to make something that's a, funnily enough a little bit less mainstream. A, yeah, it's essentially but, a but with more money. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think if this had took off, maybe his career would have gone a different direction, and he'd probably get spoke about in the same vein as the Spielbergs do. Yeah, but yeah. because it bombed didn't do anything and got panned it builds up a cult following like these films tend to do they all do but um, I think this yeah. really sort of predicted what you do next like Prince of Darkness yeah I think he went a lot of people say this is his last great film Prince of Darkness yeah. which is uh, Donald Pleasance who you got to say that John Carpenter does rely on the people that he can trust he, yeah. he, he, does, he keeps his friends close and mm. reuses them he doesn't just play the field yeah. Um, so if if he knows that they they do the job, he is evil. He is real. It is awakening. So it is evil. 
Um, very oh. dark. Yeah. Well, a research team finds a mysterious cylinder in a deserted church. If opened, it could mean the end of the world. There you go. Pretty dark. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I've never seen it. I have never seen it either, and that looks like that guy from Big Trouble in Little China. Yep. So I think that, uh, yeah. But I haven't seen Prince of Darkness either, so maybe that's probably the reason. Maybe it's just not uh, it's not as accessible as perhaps his other films are. Um, and then you've got They Live. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh. Yeah. Which, back in 1988, is... A very forward-thinking well, yeah, satire. It, it is a satire, and it's 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 in the vein of uh, 1984. Yeah. Um, the other one... <laughs> you said it just before you left the house last week. They, so They Live is, uh, yeah, is in the same vein as uh, 1984, but an American perspective on yeah, consumerism. Yeah. Absolutely, and like in governmental lies and injustice and stuff, but with this very B movie vibe to it, like yeah, not very well acted, cheesy dialogue, yeah. But oh, kind of like he's gone backwards in the way, but done on purpose, and, yeah, I, yeah. and people have got to be able to get it. This is a, this is probably why he struggled to hit the mainstream because he was trying things that. Like we try things, we try to be subversive to audiences by having you opening a package for two minutes. Yeah, some people wouldn't get that. And and, yeah, yeah. And it seems in some ways a big fuck you to Hollywood. Yeah, he doesn't want to conform. He doesn't yeah. want to be mainstream, and he wants to carry on pushing the envelope. And mm. I think this was one of those envelope pushing films that yeah. just struggled to to go anywhere. I mean, it did it did all right, right? This film. I, I'm not sure. I don't. Again, it's got like a massive cult following now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's full of classic lines and stuff. Starring Roddy Piper. Yes. And uh, he was a, a wrestler, wasn't he? He was a wrestler in the WWF, and uh, he he continued to do competition until about uh, 2010, I think. Right. When it was WWE, and uh, yeah, he's just just a typical wrestler look about him. Yeah. Um, kind of like a Mickey Rourke in in his acting. Yeah. As well, later years, um, but yeah, he's he he did a fair job. He did he did the, he, he's typical Stephen King kind of a character where you know because Stephen King films tend to have um, actors who aren't necessarily on uh, at the top of their pyramid. Yeah, um, but they do okay. Yeah, that's a typical kind of Stephen King TV movie type of appeal. Um, it's from the short story. Um, can't remember what the name of it is, but uh, but oh, I can tell you that you know Shepherd Far um, Shepherd Fairy, who created the uh, Obey poster, the uh, the cult uh, Obey poster. He's yeah. kind of like the uh, the Banksy, the type of guy who makes posters. And, oh right, uh, okay. He did the uh, Obama, the Audacity of Hope kind of hope poster. He created all those things. He was inspired by this film to create that Obey. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and his name was Shepherd Fairy. Right. You've got some facts here. I've got some facts. I've got hit me list. with the facts. Do you want some more facts? Yeah, hit me with okay. the facts. Okay, Meg Foster played Evil Lynn in Masters of the Universe. She's in this film. Yeah. And she has the most bizarre eyes. She uh, does. And they... Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, the years have not been kind to her. She's 
<laughs> she, she's the, she doesn't look like that anymore. She looks quite frightening. Um, the communicators that the guards use are, are the PKE meters in uh, Ghostbusters. Did you know that? I did not know that. There's a scene where they're kind of like in a corridor looking for... I think they're looking for him. Yeah. The PKE meters. Yeah. They use those. Well, that's great. Yeah. There's that little fact. Um, often cited by British author David Icke as John Carpenter's best film and well, I wonder see, why yeah you can see David Icke getting on board with this very well <laughs> I'll be honest with you I started a website that was called weareone.com did you? it was all about governmental conspiracies all that sort of stuff and I used all the sort of iconography out of they live as the backdrop of the website ah okay yeah yeah you should have just made it like yeah the black and white thing and every time you hover over it it goes obey Oh, yeah. You can do hoverovers now, so I'm not that good at. I could do that. Like that. Oh, do you know what? That sounds like a good idea. Sounds like fun. Um, it's the longest alley fight. I, I was sitting there watching that alley fight for ages. The uh, between Frank and um, a wrestler. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> names escape me. But that that alley fight was uh, rehearsed for three weeks. Um, they shot the film over uh, three months, I think. Yeah, eight weeks schedule. So it was the quite a film. short. Yeah, quite wow. a short schedule. But three weeks of that was was rehearsing the um, the the alley fight, so it was a big deal, and the whole the whole premise of that alley fight was for him to wear the glasses. The idea of the film they live is that um, we should actually say that it's a, it's about um, the world is is full of subliminal messages, yeah. and uh, when you put on these dark sunglasses, you actually see what is what is actually coming to you as a subliminal message every yeah. every single magazine for example is just white with black writing on it with with words that kind of like side. trying to tell you to yeah to consume obey, obey. use mo money as god no, yeah if you look at money printed money it's got money this is your god on it all the posters have have you know marry and reproduce yeah written on the side so it's very orwellian and orwellian and uh, and there are some people who are kind of like in charge, the rich and the the conservative, the basically elite. the elite. I'd say they, I'd say they're all Democrat. They're not Democratic. They're Republicans. Yeah, I think there's definitely a slant of of, of um, political uh, insight here, that, and they're all aliens. Yeah, and the makeup is incredible. It is. It's great. It's a really good sort of allegory, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's well edited as well. I mean, the. The, the glasses come down and everything's there and the glasses come off and everything's normal and it's, yeah. it's very well very well conceived very technically proficient film mm. but then different it's not your typical like you say it was very it's low budget kind of feel very satirical but it doesn't feel like it fits the intelligence of it doesn't fit the, that, yeah the, I think that's the problem isn't it yeah so it's like a re on one hand you've got this incredibly intelligent social satire and on the other hand you've got this B-movie acting clunky dialogue and the two don't quite marry together like the Spice Girls like the Spice Girls <laughs> but unlike Spice World the movie which is the perfect film okay so um, yeah the brave ending involving a sex scene that's kind of like an odd odd ending the most weird ending you know because it literally just says everybody's just you know the, the everything's just carrying on as normal yeah the the republicans are reproducing and there, there, there's a, a, a shot for boobs for no reason and I think now this is this is my theory that he was told that he wasn't allowed to have boobs in this movie so right. he kind of he put that shot in in the end for, for absolutely boob reason only right but the ending being that 
it just carries on. Yeah. It's very 1984, because at the end of 1984, he realises that he loves Big Brother. All the mm-hmm. torture he's endured has made him love Big Brother. He's now just like everybody else. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And that's the end. So it is his Big Brother, I yeah, guess. His 1984. Yeah, screw you, this is it. What year was it made? Uh, 1988. That would have been nice. Never mind. Let's pretend it was made in 1984. Yeah, that would have been good. So but then, really, after that, what um, have we done? Yeah, but basically, the um, there's one thing as well. The uh, the character Roddy Piper, um, he, he flips his finger at the uh, at the situation yeah. <laughs> at the end, which is exactly the same thing that Henry Fonda did in um, at the end of Future World. Oh, of he, course. He yeah. leaves the resort, just flips his finger, and that's it. Yeah. Which, in um, some cuts of Future World, they actually did that because right. some, certain countries didn't accept the finger. So they did the yeah, the old. Um, I've I've never liked a person who won't accept the finger. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, after that, we're not going to go to that one just yet. We've got um, in the mouth of oh, we've got body bags. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Come on. Is that the Chevy Chase film? That is a John Carpenter film. I had no idea. Yes, the Chevy. I had no well, idea. I didn't. I'm gutted because that's an incredible film. Yeah. I love that film. Mighty too. And this is his. This is his mainstream. This is this is his. Okay. Um, because if if they live didn't do well, then obviously he had the pressure. Yeah. To do something that was mainstream. Sam Neill. I didn't know it was in that. But it's a great film. Because Sam Neill's is in The Mouth of Madness. Yes, he is. So there you go. Which is his take on The Mountains of Madness, the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft book. And is that next? Um, Body bag is, of course, TV movie. TV movie in the mouth of madness. Okay, yeah. So that's um, it has. I actually saw that when it was probably out on video rental. So I haven't seen it since then. But there's a lot of uh, yeah. And then we've got Village of the Damned, which is again that feels very made for TV. Yeah, yeah, and it's very unusual casting. Yeah, because the Reeve cursed the alley. Yeah, because people you don't wouldn't expect to see in this in this movie as well. Meredith mm. Salinger's in it as well. She's the woman who doesn't get pregnant with the demon with the alien child. Yeah. Um, basically, the film is about populating this village, this town. Sorry, with with alien beings. Yeah, I'd say yeah. And uh, when they all grow up, they've all got white hair, and they all basically the whole town becomes pregnant at the same time. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Meredith Salinger's character miscarriages, and she's. She drinks herself to suicide. I think. Um, I think she gets killed. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's an okay film. Mark Hamill plays the Reverend. Oh, of course he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an okay film, but it kind of felt very Children of the Corn. Yeah. Very. It was trying to. Because we look at the films after this now. Yeah. We've got. Um, yeah, Escape from L.A., which uh, he, didn't do well. Uh, yeah, it was a. a Kurt Russell obviously was was probably not doing a lot at that time as well. Yeah, but it's it's not a great film. It's 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 on now actually, but so it's okay. Is that Peter Fonda? Yeah, Peter Fonda. Uh, but it's not not quite as good as the first one. It loses a lot of its. Um, it's yeah. It doesn't have as much snake bite. Yeah, yeah. Good as one. the first one. Yeah, when um, he does when he does the he's about to do when they go um, surfing through the city. It's just oh, dreadful. this is actually the worst scene ever in the job. I think this has to be the worst conceived 
seen in a John Carpenter film, I'm afraid. It is ridiculous. Yeah. And then we had Vampires after that, which again was okay. Mm-hmm. It had um, Cheryl Fenn out of Twin Peaks in it. Oh, okay. Well, that's at least... Uh, yeah. I had the opportunity of watching that. James Woods, of course. Yeah. yeah. So I never actually... I, it's, okay. I, it's okay. It's not a bad film at all, you know. But, but it's the just... fact that it's called Vampires, it, it's kind of like feels like it's... Uh, Oh, it's like a, like a film that just says Dracula. Yeah. It's like, oh, is it really just going to be... And then we've got Ghosts of Mars, which isn't good at all. It's... Mm, the sets in that were just... Mars is red. Okay, get over it. Yeah. It's not. It's not red. Ugh! Anybody could make a film about Mars. If they could make a film about Mars where the, the surface of the Mars is the colour that it's supposed to be. The same colour as the moon. Yeah. Did um, you know that? I, I didn't. No, they colorized it because everybody had preconceptions of what Mars' surface looked like. So when they actually shot the first real photographs of Mars, they thought people thought that um, that the, nobody would believe that they were actually photos from Mars unless they were colorized to red. <laughs> and they're lying to you. Yeah, this is the big thing, um, which I'm surprised that um, that John Carpenter didn't just say, you know what, Mars is not red. But he just doesn't. <laughs> these films just don't seem like they were, if, he's not even there. Is he? Sort of service in them, I guess. Just, just he's not there. Them. He's no. not. In, I don't think he wanted to to be a director. Yeah, maybe just, anymore. He's just he going was... through the motions. He's kind mm. of fed up of it. Yeah, because I don't really see him in these movies. No. Does later now on. you've not seen The Ward, have you? No. That's his last film, two thousand and ten. What's the first thing you remember? What's your name? Kristen. Welcome to the ward. Your new home. Why am I here? You can't get them to tell you anything. Sometimes they take people away and they don't come back. If I were you, I'd watch out, new girl. There's a ghost in here. I'm sure you believe you saw what you say. I'm not crazy. She's the last one that got out. She's one of us, but she's gone now. And now she's going to kill us all. You've got to deal with them. We have to get out of here. That wasn't so bad, was it? Amber Heard's in it, who I find incredibly attractive, so that helps. But it was again. It was an okay film. It's yeah. not amazing, but it uh, there's a few little carpenter moments in there. There's nobody in the cast who I recognise. That was part of the beauty of it. You never knew. Cause you, that sort of made you didn't know who was going to go. Who, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. And it has some quite creepy moments in it, but 
Okay, so so overall, if you look at John Carpenter's career, he's always been a, a, a director. He's always wanted to be the director that's true to his own vision. Yeah. He's always been in control of his vision. I'd say for the most part. He likes to have final cut. Mm. Um, there aren't many director's cuts where he's, you know, where the studio has done one and he's done his own. I think everything has pretty much been the way that he wanted it. Mm. Um, probably up until the, the, you know, probably memoirs of the Invisible Man, where pressure started to build up, and yeah. uh, he was probably no longer allowed to have as much control because studios were more about um, individual production. Your producers wanted to be billed, and yeah, I suppose the seventies and the eighties, you didn't really feel like the production, the companies were trying to, have, the studios were having too much of a say. Yeah, they were trusting, but then as the, as it as maybe they've started to say no we want this because they start to think we, this is huge money yeah we want blockbusters we want this we want that and it's not about that maybe that's why he just started to go well forget it what then. if you think about the, the, the 60s was kind of like the, uh, the the breakdown of the studio system and, and, then, and then all these different production companies started American Zoetrope uh, Canon Orion Pictures and American Independent Films uh, all these different studios came out and there were lots and lots so basically they were there were there were production companies that literally made their own films. Then what happened was this Time Warner started to buying buying them. Paramount started to buy them. Um, other companies like Universal started to buy all these little tiny uh, and, and incorporate them mm. as kind of like you, you're going to be making these kind of films for us. These these guys are going to make these films. We're going to liquidize this company and make this into this. Uh, Dimension Films came about with, with because of liquidization of yeah. lots of different production companies, and they literally said, "Well, but we're going to be in control." So that's what happened in the late nineties. Big studios were taking control of all these multiple thousands of, of little companies, right? And that's what I, th I think it was at that time that he started to get jaded. So I was looking into the idea of how the studio systems were working and I think that's probably why it's because of the monopolizing of, right. of the studio um, and yeah because anybody could make any film in the 80s and 70s and 80s and they were they were more independent than anything ever right. before hmm. so I've got a feeling that it's because of that right yeah well I'd say like late 70s through the 80s he was it was a good time to make film. He was brilliant. He's made some of my favourite films. And I think that should conclude our... Um, Do you miss him as a director now? Yeah, Do you kind of I'd wish like, that he was still... If it came, if the news came on the wire that he was making a new film, I'd be very excited. Yeah. I'd be waiting for it to come out and hoping not to be disappointed. The war didn't disappoint me. I wasn't blown away by it. Yeah, but, yeah. But he didn't disappoint me at all. But I'd like him to make... I'd like him to make another film come back with him yeah but maybe he won't maybe he's just happy to drink whiskey and play music now to be honest I think that's all that matters really yeah whiskey and music let's end it there see you next week everyone see you next week watch John Carpenter movies yes you know it's hard to do a scary film horror and, and scary movies are a lot like comedy it's all timing were there any particular movies or scenes that gave little Johnny nightmares growing up? Anything you can recall? The original thing from Another World scared me. The fly scared me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Halloween. Now, from what I understand, the budget was minuscule. 
I got a call from a distributor who said, well, I want to make a movie. I've got 300,000 bucks. I want to make a movie about babysitter murderers. Because uh, he figured every girl in America, everybody is babysat. So what a, some killer is stalking them. Now you have a Jamie Lee. Obviously, she's got a famous pedigree. She just had a whole lot of talent. And she was really gung-ho to do it. She wanted to do a movie. And she could really scream. Honestly, what, what does this guy Myers have against Halloween? I mean, what is it? Michael Myers is just a stand-in for all evil. He's a cipher. He's not a real thing, a person. They've made him a real person in the sequels, but he's not. He's just a stand-in. That's what makes him so scary. All right, now I want to talk about The Thing. The Thing was received negatively in terms of the reviews and a lot of the audience because it was so in your face. The monster was just, there he was, right in the light. There's an old cliche in Hollywood, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to keep him hidden in the shadows. Well, I just put it out in the open. Which of these scenes from these two classic horror films, are there any particular ones that you can put your finger on that you're proudest of? Well, like we were talking about in The Thing, I think the blood test scene is my favorite. I thought you'd feel that way, Gary. You were the only one that could have got to that blood. We'll do you last. In Halloween, there are several moments that I'm really proud of, especially because we didn't have any money. When Jamie Lee comes out of a room, she's just seen some dead, her dead friends, and she goes into a corner. And she's sort of cowering and, sn and sniveling. And you become aware very slowly that he's the, Michael Myers, the shape, is standing right behind her. Well, Dean Cundy put a, a light really high above him on a dimmer. And he just brought it up really slowly. But you have to bring it up just as it's being exposed to the film. The audience is seeing it. I'm, I'm happy with that. The scarier the better. Everybody loves to be in the dark together and scream and have a good time. 